Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.04 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 24th of February, 2021. This is episode 372 of Bitcoin. And we're just going to pop right into uh, this one from Alex Wright Gladstein, or uh, GA1EX at GA1EX on Twitter. He's got some good notions about what's going on with Bitcoin when it comes to how it plays a role in climate change if you want to get into all that shit. <clears throat> and it doesn't really, honestly, here's the thing about climate change. It doesn't matter if you believe in it or not. It doesn't matter if you believe that it's anthropomorphic uh, in in nature or not. Honestly, my position is, is that we, we live on a dynamic earth. And uh, the earth was dynamic before humans were humans. And dynamic dynamism or however you want to pronounce it is uh intrinsic to to the experience of life on earth whether you were human or a tree or a freaking mushroom or whatever because the earth is dynamic the climate is dynamic and with or without us that climate is going to change it does it all the time Hell, there was a major cooling event just due to plants 444 million years ago with the rise of plants. And then again, uh, 300 and like I think it was like 330 million years ago with the rise of trees. And in both of those events, it seems fairly clear that the amount of CO2 that was in the atmosphere was drawn down to the point uh, that major, major uh, global cooling events occurred, right? And, you know, the earth can get too cold, by the way, for humans. Uh, there's going to end up being some kind of balance as to how much CO2 you want in the atmosphere uh, for warming versus how less, how minimal CO2 you want. Uh, otherwise, you can freeze your, freeze your nutsack off. So <clears throat> with all that said, with the whole FUD about Bitcoin mining and us boiling the oceans, which I find um, a lazy, a lazy argument, by the way, there is, is, there is always going to be people that are going to just lose their ass and their minds and everything else about climate change because they've been programmed by the media to think in a certain way. So because we already because the bots are already out there and they're already running on their established program we got to deal with it alex has a really good set of points about bitcoin mining and its place in the environment and he's writing it as a response to a guy named jason jacobs who asked the question he says newbie question uh if other types of crypto users uh, uses 99% less energy then why did bitcoin become the blue chip if Ethereum can convert 
Uh, can Bitcoin convert as well? God, this is, I know, don't, I know you're cringing. It's okay. We'll get through this together. I'm, I'll hold your hand. If not, is that an argument to standardize on a greener version instead? Okay, that's a horrible question. Not because the person asking it is a horrible person, because they're just that they're living in with ignorance. Okay, so the, Alex comes back with this set of, of tweets and he says, this all comes down to whether you think Bitcoin is important. I've devoted my life to fighting climate change and I don't have a problem with Bitcoin's energy use. Okay. <laughs> Let's read that one again so you know where he's coming from. I've devoted my life to fighting climate change, and I don't have a problem with Bitcoin's energy use. That is because Bitcoin solves a problem that nothing else does. It is a completely secure way for one person to send another person money, no matter where those two people are in the world, with no way for any government or company to stop the transaction. For those in the United States and the EU, this may not seem like a big deal. We have PayPal and Venmo, and it's easy for us to send money. But for those under dictatorship, money is used as a mechanism for control. And for those in countries with hyperinflation, Bitcoin offers stability. Right? So he goes on to say, once you accept that Bitcoin is worthwhile, for those of us who care about climate, the question then becomes, whether it must use such ridiculously large amounts of energy. Many who are pro-Bitcoin point to all the renewables that are used for mining, but in my opinion, the more important thing to realize is that the majority of Bitcoin transactions take place off-chain. They are then bundled into a single on-chain transaction every so often. This is what exchanges do. Finally, thank God. This is what Lightning enables in an open-source way. This means that all of the articles that take Bitcoin's energy use today and extrapolate it linearly to discuss its future energy use are wrong. Energy use will not grow linearly with transactions. Bitcoin and Lightning are both in their infancy. One thing we climate geeks can do to help Bitcoin scale in an energy efficient way is contribute to the development of the Lightning Network so that transactions can continue to scale in the future without energy use scaling. Thank you. Finally. Now, now why, why is it important enough to take time out to read this, this set of tweets? Well, because generally speaking, we don't get people on our side that are from the climate change side of the debate. It is really rare to run into somebody uh, like Alex who completely understands what's going on. And the fact that he's a climate change guy, he might very well be in, you know, get into an argument with you on Twitter about, you know, if you say something like it's, you know, climate change doesn't exist, he might actually get so pissed off. He calls you a climate change denier, which I also think is a very lazy argument. However, I don't know, Alex, so I don't know if he actually would. I'm just saying being from the climate change debate and on, on the side of climate change being a complete thing and maybe that is caused by humans, he would be more likely to get into your face about being a climate change denier than somebody like me, who basically says, welcome to Earth. Climate change happens. Hookers are on the left. Beer's in the fridge on the right. Enjoy your stay. That kind of thing, okay? That, my whole point is that even without humans, right, 
the climate has left traces of major swings in temperature. All without us. We didn't, we weren't even a glimmer in the earth's eye at the point where you were seeing massive swings in temperatures globally that would last, those swings would last millions of years. Okay, stop it. Just stop. However, it's really good to see that somebody with or that is on the climate change <clears throat> is a thing and it's going to, you know, maybe kill us all side is on the side of Bitcoin and understands where the important points for energy usage in the Bitcoin ecosystem actually are, right? The, he, when he says something, when he says the, that transactions don't scale linear, linearly, what he's talking about there, if you don't know, is that there's been several arguments as of late that extrapolate, well, given the amount of transactions that the network processes right now, um, it's going to cause the oceans to boil because, because when we get up to a certain other amount of transactions, it's going to, you know, multiply uh, what we use, like, so instead of like, you know, if we get to a million transactions, then it's going to use three times the energy. The blockchain, you know, the Bitcoin blockchain is not designed to do a million transactions every, you know, every block, right? Or every day. It's right now we're in 24 hours. We're generally speaking, maxing out at around 350,000 transactions. <clears throat> it's up to us to use that transaction number wisely because it's not going to just double to 700,000 transactions overnight or even in a couple of years. Why? Block space is expensive. There's not a lot of it. We wanted to make sure that we were able to decentralize the network so that I can run a node and you can run a node for under $400. And when I mean $400, I mean like an upfront fee one time and then it's a pittance to run it from then on, right? So <clears throat> because of that, we didn't do four gigabyte blocks. You know, we didn't go into like talk, start talking about exabytes and terabytes and gig, you know, like other like giga blocks and all that kind of crap. Because if you do that, you, you and I can't just run a node. And then you do get linear scaling with energy usage, okay? It's not good at all, but it can't, it's not going to happen to Bitcoin where we have to go is second layer, third layer, and fourth layer where we're really, really using wisely the tr each and every individual transaction that can occur on the blockchain as it stands right now for Bitcoin should be looked at as a precious resource. And we should be able, we should try to figure out a way for, you know, block space conservation. I don't know. Let's have a block space conservation society. I'm just saying it, we're not alone. There are people that are on the side of the whole climate change debate that do get it. That should give you hope. Okay. So if you really need to, if you need to use this argument, it's Alex Wright Gladstein. That's at GA1, the number one, EX. And pull his tweets out. It was done, let's see, yesterday. He wrote these yesterday, so that would have been February the 23rd. So if you need to <clears throat> use advanced Twitter search, and I recommend that you learn how to use advanced Twitter search, you can uh, search for it by date and what at GA1EX said on that date, which would have been yesterday. Okay. <clears throat> 
Also in the community, Bitcoin Magazine Art Portal has been announced, and they're calling all Bitcoin artists. Uh, this is by Tommy, February the 23rd for, of course, Bitcoin Magazine. And it says, it's no secret that the world of the fine art and collectibles have been massively disrupted by technology stemming from the innovation of Bitcoin. Non-fungible tokens, colloquially known as NFTs, are a relatively new technology that has taken the art world by storm, generating millions of dollars in sales across platforms like Nifty Gateway, Async, Super Rare, Maker's Place, Known Origin, Rarible. The list just grows and grows. Projects like NBA Top Shot and CryptoPunks are leveraging this technology to create digitally scarce <laughs> art and collectibles worth thousands of U.S. dollars apiece. <clears throat> there have been large sums of value discovered in the realm of digital art and collectibles in the past few months. Advancement is rapid in this nascent space, and I imagine we haven't seen the top yet. But where will it all end up? Maybe we should look back to where it all started. That's right, the one blockchain to rule them all, Bitcoin. NFT started in 2015 on BTC with counterparty token XCP and rare Pepe's. While today we see a thriving ETH-based NFT space, many Bitcoiners and Bitcoin artists are ready for a BTC NFT resurrection. I personally see the value of NFTs for their immutability. <laughs> we'll get into that. Uniqueness, scarceness, and permanence. You don't need to do anything to keep up the condition of a digital art piece the same way you would with a painting or a print. But if the value of an NFT is directly tied to its permanent residence on a perpetually secure blockchain, then there's a clear case to be made for why BTC is the best chain for hashing digital art and tokenized collectibles. <clears throat> Whatever additional layers of protocol it takes to make the perfect platform and marketplace is clearly the BTC chain that you want the data peg to. And that's possible now. Today, you can make a Bitcoin in NFT using various methods, including counterparty via freeport.io, which is a browser-based wallet that allows you to mint NFTs on BTC and even view the BTC NFTs in browser. <clears throat> Other methods are being worked on as well today with the goal of competing with the Ethereum NFT marketplace soon. So when will this shift occur? Will, will ETH always be better for this, the same way BTC will always be better for hard money? It is possible, but I won't digress further into the topic today. So, a call to the artists. Ultimately, I'm writing this as a call to action. To any artist, established, aspiring, or otherwise, if you have an interest in Bitcoin and want to create art about Bitcoin, Bitcoin Magazine wants to see it and to help you share it. If you submit your artwork to the Bitcoin Magazine Contributors Portal, art.bitcoinmagazine.com, your work may be selected and featured on bitcoinmagazine.com in an upcoming article. <clears throat> this initiative by Bitcoin Magazine has one goal in mind, bringing Bitcoin art to the masses. So, if you are a Bitcoin artist or an artist that makes art relating to Bitcoin, even in abstract ways, you qualify. The image of your art probably belongs on Bitcoin Magazine, where it will be syndicated across the web and seen by as the most Bitcoiners possible. <clears throat> if you're an artist that can't get his, her, their NFT sales off the ground, and your artwork relates to Bitcoin, you qualify. What better way to get your artwork and name out in front of people who'd be most likely to appreciate it? 
if you were just a regular person who made a one hit wonder meme or artwork in ode to Bitcoin, you qualify as well, but there will be a curation process and not any old sketch with a Bitcoin logo will make it through. Please don't feel discouraged if a submission isn't selected. Bitcoin is for everybody and so is making art. With this new initiative, Bitcoin Magazine is attempting to decentralize the art contributions on the Bitcoin Magazine website the same way written contributions come from across the Bitcoin community. This initiative will give artists extra opportunity to gain exposure to our audience and give our audience exposure to the many great artists in this space, whether they may be up and coming or well-established. So make your way over to the brand new Bitcoin Magazine art portal where we will be fielding visual content submissions the same way we accept written contributions from the community. And again, that is going to be, where is it? What is the art.bitcoinmagazine.com. That's art.bitcoinmagazine.com. <clears throat> now, just a couple words about NFTs. Yesterday on Twitter was, a, was fun. We were just copying NFTs by right-clicking and making jokes about how the entire system is kind of stupid. However, I'm not going to say that it's completely stupid. It de- like everything else in the world, it depends. If you're depending on an NFT uh, to never be copied, never be resold by somebody who does who should not have access to the rights, dude, you're looking in the wrong freaking place. I mean, yes, you can tie a certain piece of art <clears throat> to a certain hash given the fact like i could just like make a piece of art and pixel by pixel have a hash created given the pixel like whatever the pixels depth is in alpha plus it's color coding so that's rgb component how transparent it is that pixel information is is unique information to that pixel and then if i do that across the entirety of the of the of the picture then I can make a hash of that picture given uh, given depth and color information from those pixels all together, one after another. I can even design an algorithm to select, you know, certain uh, certain pixels that would always have to come up. It doesn't really matter. But the the point is is that like, let's say that I make a piece of art that's eight thousand pixels by eight thousand pixels. Re- that's a like a fairly large amount of resolution, right? That's a big piece when you get down to it. And then I say, okay, I'm selling the the NFT, and then I put it up on Twitter. But I put up on Twitter a one thousand by one thousand uh, pixel resolution image of the picture to announce that I'm going to you know do an NFT sale on Ethereum or Ethereum or whatever. Okay, well, that's great. So whoever bought the actual NFT that was hashed on the 8,000 pixel by 8,000 pixel image is going to have rights to that particular image. That's, that's their, that now belongs to them. But that's not going to stop the guy right-clicking on the 1,000 pixel by 1,000 pixel image, which is actually you know enough quality to pass as an NFT to go over to another chain and sell it there to some unsuspecting rube who doesn't know anything about the 8K by 8K pixel resolution that's already been freaking sold on in, as an NFT on this other chain. That's where I'm getting, where, where I'm coming down to on the whole NFT thing is that I don't think we are at a place where we can separate meat space in art from 
blockchain space and art. Yes, the technology works. However, you still have to deal with meat space. Whether, the, whether you ever print this on a piece of paper, it does not matter, okay? The problem is, is that you can sell a hacked copy of that art somewhere else and those people will never know about the original because we're dealing with meat space. The assumption has to be that everybody knows about this piece of art. Everybody knows about the Mona Lisa. Everybody knows there's only one. Everybody knows that it's hanging in the Louvre in, in Paris. Everybody knows it was painted by Leonardo da Vinci. And everybody knows around what time that painting was done. I'll, most people know exactly what it looks like. Even fewer know what to look for to see if there's a copy of it, because there are copies of it, right? But even So even in meat space in the traditional art world, we already have problems those problems propagate like wildfire with NFTs in the digital space. So the takeaway advice here is just because something is an NFT does not mean that its value cannot be diminished by forgeries. I'm just saying, man, because we are still dealing with the human mind on the meat space side of the blockchain. Okay, keep that, keep that in mind. Now, getting into uh, what happened yesterday and the day before. It was, a pretty brutal, it was a pretty brutal couple of days. And we may not even be out of the woods yet. And, and here's why. Square buys another $170 million in Bitcoin. So if you've been under a rock, you, you probably didn't see that news. It came out yesterday. Jeff Benson is going to give us the skinny from Decrypt.co. <clears throat> In its Q4 2020 earnings announcement on Tuesday, the payments company said it has purchased approximately 3,318 Bitcoin at an aggregate purchase price of $170 million US. That's on top of the 4,709 BTC it bought in October of 2020 at $50 million. So it got over 1,000 Bitcoin more at $50 million in October than it did when it bought it yesterday or, or had announced it yesterday. <clears throat> that purchase, along with MicroStrategy's aggressive Bitcoin buys, arguably helped prompt Tesla's $1.5 billion entry into the market. The price of Bitcoin has more than quintupled over the past four months. The two Bitcoin purchases combined total 5% of Square's total cash as of December 31st, 2020, the company says. Square believes that cryptocurrency is an instrument <clears throat> of economic empowerment, providing a way for individuals to participate in a global monetary system and secure their own financial future, the company said in the release. Quote, the investment is part of Square's ongoing commitment to Bitcoin, and the company plans to assess its aggregate investment in Bitcoin relative to its other investments on an ongoing basis, end quote. In its earnings report, Square also reported $4.57 billion in Bitcoin revenue from the Cash App in 2020, which is nine times greater than its 2019 Bitcoin revenue and $97 million in Bitcoin profit. $1.76 billion of that revenue came from the fourth quarter alone, 
which is a thousand percent increase from Q4 of the previous year, as the price of Bitcoin surged from 10,500 to 28,600 in the fourth quarter. According to the company, the revenue increase was fueled by new and existing Bitcoin buyers. Quote, in the fourth quarter of 2020, Bitcoin volumes per customer were up more than 2.5x uh, over year, year over year, primarily driven by buying activity as existing customers continued to buy Bitcoin and new adopters bought even greater volumes of Bitcoin, Square noted. <clears throat> Cash App is a competitor to Venmo and Zelle and other person-to-person -person payment apps. It differentiates itself in part by allowing customers to buy stocks and Bitcoin similar to Robinhood. The P2P service has been up and running since 2013, but only introduced Bitcoin buying and selling in 2018, a tad late for the December 2017 bull run, but very early for the current one. Cash App is generally free for customers. Its business model is, is to charge merchants a percentage of each transaction. It also charges individuals to transfer funds more quickly or to make payments with a credit card instead of via debit. Bitcoin purchases, however, work differently. According to the Cash App website, it charges a service fee, an additional fee which is determined by price volatility across US, U.S. exchanges, end quote. Square cites the volatility for its decision to deduct Bitcoin revenue from its overall earnings. Nonetheless, those small margins applied to make sure it's not losing on any individual trade have added up into the billions as new investors stream into a bullish Bitcoin market. So, yeah, that... Jack, you know, pulled the trigger and announced that he bought a shit ton more of uh, Bitcoin. And here's the deal. It helped get out of the dip area yesterday, <clears throat> which was continuing the dip from Monday. But honestly, I kind of expected a bigger recovery and the shit didn't happen. So anyway, it's good to know that that's like sort of like the, the that was the detail work of what I had announced yesterday. But still, even at the, you know, at the, at the end of it all, you know, eh, we recovered somewhat, but we're nowhere close back to $58,000. And a lot of people are okay with that. And I honestly, I am too, because I kind of don't notice these things anymore. Um, let's talk about the, let's talk about the red candles. The biggest red candle in Bitcoin history sheds $100 billion from the market cap. So we are now down below $1 trillion. And remember what I said Friday is that I expected that by Sunday that we would have gone under $1 trillion. I was wrong. It happened on Monday. So I was, I was off by 24 hours. But, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting better at making predictions. I guess when you're, when, you're used to, when you're used to the way a particular ecosystem actually functions, you can kind of guess what's going to happen. And no, I don't go TA charting and shit like that. I don't, I don't have to do that because I only concern myself with one, with one thing. If I was trading a hundred different things, including stocks and bonds and equities and all that kind of shit, yeah, I would probably be having to chart all the time to get my mind around it. But I only care about Bitcoin. So it's a lot easier to just use your own brain as the computer to figure out what the hell is going on. So here we go. This is from Jose Antonio Lanz writing for Decrypt.co. If you thought the Bitcoin bloodbath ended yesterday, boy, were you wrong. On Monday, Bitcoin registered what was then the sharpest gross drop in its history in terms of dollar amounts. In a matter of hours, the price of Bitcoin went from just over 75500 to bottoming out its 46 
1700 but a bullish effort from traders saw its price rebound and the candle closed at $54,142. And just when Bitcoin investors were starting to talk about market recovery, the real flash crash happened. Yesterday, crypto analysts were admiring, if you can call it that, Bitcoin's daily candle wick, that is the minimum point reached before reversing the trend during the day. But today, the market is faced with the largest red-bodied candle in Bitcoin's history, starting the day at 54100 only managed to reach 54200 for a few minutes before plummeting to its current price of just above $48,000. <laughs> If you have no idea, the dip cut Bitcoin's market cap <clears throat> down by nearly $100 billion from its historic $1 trillion and now just above $900 billion. Its daily minimum came in at 44880 just off a slight support zone marked by a correction after the price spike following Tesla's announcement in early February 2020. At the time, Elon Musk's electric car company revealed a new corporate strategy to the SEC buying $1.5 billion worth of BTC and announcing that it was working on accepting Bitcoin payments. Bitcoin has been in price discovery mode since it first broke the $20,000 price zone. The previous all-time high registered in uh, 2017. Price discovery happens when an asset breaks its all-time high and then maintains a bullish trend. It is called price discovery because traders have no previous experience buying and selling above that specific price, in this case, the $20,000 price zone. And despite the drop over the last two days, Bitcoin has been on an epic bull run, exceeding the expectations of even the most experienced analysts. Some were even expecting a short-term sell-off. <clears throat> Real Vision founder Raoul Paul, oh God, for example, shared his relief following yesterday's correction. And Raoul says, is it just me that feels relief when the BTC sell-offs come? You know they are coming, but when they finally arrive, you can switch into buy the dip mode. March is a historically weak month. Not sure if this is the bigger March correction or just another cheeky sellout like you, Raul, because you are a sellout. Anyway, still, some market observers may be surprised to see that even Square's bullish news that it has invested another $170 million of corporate funds into Bitcoin hasn't been enough to reignite the rally. For the time being, it may not be a bad idea to consider removing those laser eyes from your Twitter profiles. Oh, hell no. Laser eyes till 100K, man. <clears throat> I'm just saying. All right. So, yeah, biggest red candle in, in history. And you live to see through it. Be proud of yourself. Unless you sold, in which case you're a dick and you should go die. Uh, Sir William of Rotherham has, uh, has a little bit of uh, advice about this whole dip thing. He says in a tweet, and this is Hodel on Comrades, by the way. It's at Hodel on Comrades on Twitter. Uh, he says, I bought my first BTC in early 2017 and sometimes woke up to see a 20 to 30% dip. That signaled a day at the screen, sweat rolling off the brow while I tried to understand the cause. Woke up this morning to a 20% dip and just went for a walk. Four years in Bitcoin can do that. Take Sir William's advice. Understand what asset you're dealing with. You're not dealing with Tesla. You're not dealing with Square. You're not dealing with Twitter stock. You're not dealing with equities. You're not dealing with gold. You're not dealing with silver. You're not dealing with palladium or rhodium or any of the other little shiny metal rocks that are out there. You're dealing with Bitcoin. It's a brand new asset class. The world's never seen anything like this before, ever. <clears throat> what do you expect to happen? 
is just going to go to $10 million a coin. Not without a lot of pain along the way. You don't get to, you don't get those prices unless you can stomach the gut wrenching feels that you're going to get while you're down here swimming with the plebs. Okay. Strength, resolve, conviction. It, and, and any of the other adjectives that you want to use to describe really strong hands, steel mind, and a gut that can digest 10 cans. Because that's exactly what it takes to survive. You have to buy, you do not trade, and you have to hold. And you have to do it sometimes through the very worst of times. Ask anybody who lived from 2017 uh, to today and find out how they felt about that bear market. My, my entry into Bitcoin was during the bottom of the bear market before last one. All right. So when you enter, when your entrance is inside the middle of a bear market, you don't feel the bear market. You just get the bull. <clears throat> and that was awesome seeing it, it go up in 2017. But then you get the bear. And that's the gut-wrenching part because you just came off this, this you, massive euphoria. And honestly, it's really hard to take coming back down. So between those two feelings, you might be was going, you know what? I just want out. I can't take it anymore. If you really can't take it anymore, then get out. Because this is, shit is not going to end. You're either in it to win it or you're going to sell out and have somebody like me buy your stack. Anyway, let's run the numbers. Man, I don't know what the hell's going on in the energy markets, but it's an up day for oil. Uh, CNBC.com forward slash futures and commodities has West Texas Intermediate coming in above one point on an increase to $62.39 for West Texas. Brent North Sea is seeing a one and a quarter percent to the upside change. It's going to come in at $66.21 for a barrel of that. Natural gas is down a third of a point to $2.86 for a thousand cubic feet of that. All the shiny metal rocks are having a good day, especially platinum. Okay, so gold is up a mere, oh God, it looks like uh, 0.111% to the upside. It's basically a meh change of $2. Uh, $1,000 or $1,807.9 is going to buy you an ounce of that. Silver's coming in 0.78 to the upside, twenty almost $28, really close to it. Platinum is at $1,276 an ounce after a 2.9% upside move. Copper is up 0.7 and palladium is up 1.54%. Let's see, what is uh, indices doing? Uh, we're showing upside on uh, across the board here. Dow futures up 0.2, uh, S&P up 0.3%, NASDAQ futures up almost a half percent, and the S&P mini is up almost uh, 0.9%. So there you go. Uh, we'll have to figure out what really happens because futures sometimes doesn't tell the whole, actually futures rarely tell the whole story. They just give you an entry point to start thinking about, but real money BTC is at $50,000 or 340. All right. Uh, where are we at? Where's our high? 
because that is not our high. Our high is going to be, that is our low, however. Uh, our high is going to be over at Bitfinex at $50,750. So there you go. Uh, 342,000 transactions occurred in the last 24 hours, which is getting to the 350, 360, you know, thousand uh, transaction max limit that we talked about earlier in the show. That's about 14,275 transactions on average every, every hour with 800,000 BTC changing hands over the last 24 hours. 33,598 BTC changing hands every hour on the hour and the average transaction value is 2.35 BTC while the median transaction value is 0.032 BTC. Block times are low, who would have guessed? Nine minutes and 32 seconds. Uh, we have 1.3 BTC being taken to fees on a per block basis and damn near 200 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Uh, hash rate has fallen, however, to uh, 140.3 exahashes per second, which doesn't reflect why we are not at above 10 minutes per block like we were yesterday when we had 144 exahashes per second. I swear to God, this hash rate thing on bitinfocharts.com sometimes I think is just flat ass wrong. What did Doge do? Five dollars or five cents. 5.4 cents people for a for meme coin and the joke coin and the coin that was designed because the designers hated bitcoin so much that they invented one of the most endearing and enduring bullshit cryptocurrency shit coins in the history of all shit coinery it's amazing to me that this shit survives. Clark Moody's dashboard is showing 70,000 transactions waiting to onboard 75 blocks to clear, which it will, of course, will not clear. We're probably not going to clear the mempool anytime soon. We used to. I remember those days. Those, those are fun days. Uh, we have... Let's see, what's going on in market cap? We are at $951 billion, so we're back below the $1 trillion. Remember what I said, guys. Not only do you have to go above and hit and go slightly above $1 trillion for Bitcoin to become the $1 trillion asset, you have to stay there, okay? It's going to take a while. We're going to, like, I, and I said this last Friday, we were going to go, we, we, we were above $1 trillion. I figured that Sunday we would dip back below, but it happened on Monday where we were going to go below $1 trillion. We're going to go back above $1 trillion, and we're going to go back below $1 trillion probably once or twice more before we get up above $1 trillion and stay there for a month before the hedge funds and all the rest of the industrial strength uh, money managers take note and say, okay, we really can't ignore it because it's not only $1 trillion, it's been there for a month. Hell, they may even wait for a full quarter. They may wait for an entirety of, of 90 days before they say, okay, it's now an actual, honest to God, $1 trillion asset. Anyway, I'm just, just saying. Uh, we have captured 8.05% of gold's market cap. You can buy 27.9 ounces of gold for one Bitcoin. There are 18,637,255.11 BTC in circulation at this time. Clark Moody is showing a price of $50,950. We have 1,087 and a half BTC in the Lightning Network. 
That's $55.4 million of capacity, run over 9,095 nodes, representing 38,215 channels. We are holding at uh, Tor capacity of the Lightning Network 53.2%. There are 578.31 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and that has 3,546 nodes running the Lightning Network. That's going to do it for Vitals. Part two of the morning roundup begins with Canada's purpose. Bitcoin ETF now holds $470 million in BTC. That's after like three days of being open. Shara Malwa is going to tell us about it from Decrypt.co. Is writing this sometime this morning and says, Purpose Bitcoin ETF, the world's first Bitcoin settled exchange traded fund, has attracted over 9,300 Bitcoin or $470 million in a week after its launch data from market tool glassnode shows of the mammoth stash 1032 bitcoin or 52 million dollars was purchased yesterday <laughs> good god the buying action came even as bitcoin saw one of its most brutal dumps ever on monday which liquidated 1.6 billion dollars in futures positions According to Purpose Investments data, it holds $470 million in Bitcoin at press time. This proves the presence of massive demand for retail and institutional investors looking to buy Bitcoin from a regulated exchange instead of using the largely unregulated crypto exchanges that dominate the landscape today. Such figures come on the back of an explosive opening day for the Purpose Bitcoin ETF. On its first day of trading last week, the product attracted over $165 million from market participants. $80 million of that amount came from within the first half hour itself. Oh, I'm sorry, no, the first hour. <clears throat> A major allure for investors is that unlike Bitcoin futures offered by the likes of CME, the purpose Bitcoin ETF holds spot Bitcoin instead of simply tracking the prices of Bitcoin itself. This allows for actual exposure to the asset instead of the synthetic bet on higher prices. Purpose offers two ETFs to investors, a BTCC.U product geared to those buying with U.S. dollars and the BTCC.B product for those with Canadian dollars. The former holds a 0.00019 BTC per share, which is about $9.59 USD, while the latter holds about $7.55 USD per share. Meanwhile, the firm's not done with this Bitcoin-focused offering. It announced the launch of an options product on Canada's Montreal exchange yesterday, one that investors can now use to place bets on the future prices of the purpose Bitcoin ETF. So they synthetically derive their own shit almost immediately. Ah! It's like you just can't stop yourself, people. Canada's Bitcoin or Canada's Bitcoin hopefuls are clearly spoiled for choice. Yeah, U.S. The United States doesn't seem to be acting on it, so might as well be Canada. Good lord. Okay, look, I had to take a little break uh, because I'm just I'm I've been in contact with the stupid, and the stupid just is coming out of the woodwork. Uh, so when I found out about the stupid, uh, I had to readjust the back end of this show. So let's just start with a freaking train wreck from Eric Weinstein. The thing that is most celebrated in some sense about Bitcoin is in fact, the reason that I'm least enthusiastic about it. I'm hugely enthusiastic about what Satoshi did. 
but it's an intermediate step towards trying to figure out what should digital gold actually be. If physical gold is a collection of uh, up quarks and down quarks in the form of protons and neutrons held together, the quarks by gluons, with electrons orbiting it held together by photons with the occasional weak interaction beta decay. All of those are gauge theories. So gold is actually coming from gauge theory and markets are coming from gauge theory. And the opportunity to do locally enforced conservation laws, which effectively is what a Bitcoin transaction is, should theoretically be founded on a different principle that is not the blockchain. It should be a gauge theoretic concept in which effectively the tokens are excitations on a network of computer nodes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I don't know what Eric Weinstein or whatever his name is, is is talking about other than he's throwing a whole bunch of subatomic particle names in there, I guess, to make himself feel smart. But the last part is the part that gets me the most, that each Bitcoin transaction should be the excitation on a series of, of, of series of computers. Oh, that's what it already is. Okay. When I create a Bitcoin transaction and broadcast it to the network, a whole bunch of computers that are distributed become excited because they're having to deal with my transaction. Okay. It gets slipped into all the different mempools from all the different nodes that are validating transactions. It has excited the network and a whole bunch of computers on the network. Eric's actually already describing what Bitcoin is. It's, I, I don't even know what the hell he's trying to go for here other than just sound really smart in like, I don't know, particle physics. I, I, I don't get it. But if this is the best argument you've got, Eric, I don't think you're going to do very well. Have fun staying poor. Now on to the rest of the fucking stupid. Craig Wright and his law firm, if that's what you want to call it, has published this PDF as of early this morning. This is uh, from Ontier or O-N-T-I-E-R, however you want to pronounce it. That's his legal firm, if you want to call it that. They say this. Ontier LLP has today begun groundbreaking legal proceedings against a number of Bitcoin developers on behalf of Tulip Trading Limited, that's TTL, furthermore, a Seychelles company whose primary beneficial owner is Dr. Craig Wright. Dr. Wright is the inventor of Bitcoin. Yeah, we get it, dude. The defendants in this action are the developers of, get this, BTC, BCH, BCHABC, and BSV. Okay, BSV developers are actually named in this legal proceeding. He's suing some of his own developers, I guess. I, it's very confusing, but whatever. The action will, for the first time, examine the nature and extent of legal duties conferred upon and owed by developers resulting from the control they exercise over their respective blockchains. In February of 2020, so about one year ago, Dr. Wright's personal computer was hacked by persons unknown and encrypted private keys to two addresses, which hold substantial quantities of Bitcoin belonging to TTL were stolen. These assets were and continue to be owned by TTL. The theft is the subject of an ongoing investigation by the Cyber Crime Division of the Southeast England Regional Organized Crime Unit. <laughs> 
<laughs> As set out in the letters before action issued today, TTL is requesting that the developers enable TTL to regain access to and control of its Bitcoin on the grounds that they owe Bitcoin owners both tortious and fiduciary duties under English law as a result of the high level of power and control they hold over their respective blockchains. The value of the claim as at today's market rates will be in excess of 3.5 billion pounds. He's okay. So remember when he's like started doing that whole thing with the white paper and everybody listed the white paper on their websites, except for the Bitcoin core developers who immediately took it down because they were afraid of being sued. This is exactly why you show no fear because you're going to get freaking sued by this ass clown anyway, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter how much you try to appease the shit bags in the world. Those shit bags are, they have a purpose, okay? Whether their purpose is for ill or for good, they're going to execute their purpose. There's nothing you can do to insulate yourself against this shit bag. Craig Wright is a fraud. He's a shit bag. He's the lowest level of carbon containing life that you can find on this planet. I mean, I've, I've known biological films that cause people great pain and the inability to cure their wounds that have more sentience than this shit bag filled with fucking carbon. Everything this man touches is a dumpster fire. And congratulations to everybody who kowtowed to his thing about the whole white paper. You're getting hosed anyway. You should have stood up against him the very first fucking day. And now here, this is what you get. You showed weakness and he went for it. So you get to deal with the lawsuit anyway. Congratulations, y'all. Congratulations for it. And, but I will say this, congratulations to actual congratulations to everybody that listed the white paper. Good for you. Good for you. But now it's time to delist BSV from every single exchange that lists it. Even people that hold BSV need to sell it into something else. Fuck, buy Dogecoin. I don't give a shit. I literally don't. I certainly don't want you in BTC, but even you, if you have one shred of humanity left in those weak ass hands of yours, then you will get rid of your BSV and you will let Craig Wright and Calvin Ayer die the miserable fucking death that they deserve. This is ridiculous. And the fact that he's suing some of his own developers, because that's what I'm reading. That is exactly what I'm reading right here, is that the defendants in this action are the developers of BTC, BCH, BCH, ABC, and BSV. So that last part, Jameson Lop, I think that's where he's getting this thing where he tweeted out earlier today um, that this is him spinning up a narrative to be able to fork BSV. You can just fork it. You don't need a narrative. You don't need a reason. You don't need anything. You can, you can fork BTC right now if you want. You don't need a narrative for it. So I'm not sure what Jameson is getting at. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that he's wrong. I'm just saying 
I don't see why he needs a narrative to fork BSV, but he may very well be right because he's suing his own BSV developers. I don't know how many of them are going to be named by name, but at the end of this bullshit, good luck with all of that. Now, continuing with actual BTC shit, Tyson's Corner, Virginia, February 24th, 2021, MicroStrategy Incorporated, the largest independent publicly traded business intelligence company, today announced that it had purchased an additional uh, 19,452 Bitcoin for approximately 1.026 billion in cash at an average price of approximately 52,765 per coin, inclusive of fees and expenses. So where are we now? We got a dump and <laughs> we've got a dump in Bitcoin. We are back down to 48,628 upon the news that this guy has bought yet more Bitcoin. At one point or another, the liquidity crunch is going to come in. I, and honestly, I don't know when. I mean, with all the, with the major selling that's been going on for the last three days straight, um, there seems, there may be a lot of liquidity to chew up, but at one point or another, that always finds its way into stronger hands and stronger hands and stronger hands and the cycle repeats, you know, it just goes on and on and on. You get to strong hands and then you get to a point where those strong hands are weak and then they sell and then they go to stronger hands who realize what is really going on. And then those hands can become weak and sell at an even higher price. This is not going to happen overnight, guys. It's going to take a while for people to figure this out. But the guy made good on his bet, dude. And I, I just, I, I kind of wish that he would have just kind of laid back on that cash for just a little bit and just bought the very, very bottom of the dip. But hey, his company, he can do whatever the hell he wants to with it. All right. Now this one, let's see, where are we at? Uh, I just read that one. Uh, exchange demands users return Bitcoin bought for $6,000 during a tech glitch. Yeah, that was going to be probably from yesterday. Um, Cyrus McNally is going to tell us about it from Cointelegraph. An apparent glitch on PDAX, P-D-A-X, temporarily dropped BTC prices by 88% and saw trading suspended. The exchange held a press conference yesterday to explain what happened. One of Southeast Asia's biggest crypto exchanges is blaming the technical glitch for the price of Bitcoin dropping down to uh, roughly $6,100 on February the 16th. Okay, this was actually uh, quite a while ago. An unknown number of customers of the Philippine Digital Exchange Assets Exchange, or PDAX, managed to buy thousands of BTC from the exchange at a massive discount, making them local currency billionaires on paper. Well, at least for a few hours. A number of PDAX customers withdrew their purchased Bitcoin up to the exchange's limit on individual accounts of one BTC per 24 hours. <laughs> PDAX is reportedly demanding these users refund BTC obtained during the crash under the threat of potential legal action. Mm -hmm. The tech glitch led to a 36-hour closure and several users continue to report remaining locked outside of their accounts. One user who managed to purchase Bitcoin when it dropped uh, 
to 300,000 PHP, I guess that's the Philippine currency, from 2.4 million PHP, took to Reddit to ask for opinions on whether or not they are legally required to return the Bitcoin, receiving an outpouring of mixed responses. Quote, I managed to transfer the purchase BTC to another wallet outside PDAX just before they closed the trading and eventually the website, the Redditor explained in a thread on R. PH Invest, quote, after almost 24 hours, they sent me a demand letter and SMS requesting me to transfer back the BTC, which was purchased well within my rights without violating any laws or regulations of the trading platform, or they may be compelled to take legal action against me, end quote. On February the 23rd, PDAC CEO Nichelle Gabba held a press conference to further clarify what had happened the week prior. He explained that the burden placed on the exchange by a flurry of unanticipated activity had introduced a glitch that allowed an unfunded order to be matched with a funded order. According to Gabba, this led to a cascade effect that dropped the price of BTC below reasonable levels. Quote, it is very understandable that a lot of users will feel upset that they were able to buy what they thought an order was there for Bitcoin at very low prices. But unfortunately, the underlying Bitcoin were never in the possession of the exchange. So there's never really anything to there to be bought or sold. Oh man, dude, there is so much wrong with that. I can't even begin to get into how much is wrong with that statement. Let's just continue on. If you, if you, if you've been listening to the show and you've been a Bitcoiner for a while, you probably already know what's wrong with that statement. If you're a newbie, you'll find out. I guarantee it. GABA stressed that all the exchange's customers, uh, or that of all the exchange's customers, only 0.2% are unable to access their accounts as of February the 23rd. Okay. So one, so they limited the uh, Bitcoin to be gotten off the exchange after this shit happened to one BTC per 24 hours, probably to try to stem the tide of all the people that were able to get cheap coin. Now, how is it that, uh, what does he say? He said, but unfortunately the underlying Bitcoin was never in the possession of the exchange. Then how did this guy from RPH invest how was he able to get his Bitcoin that he bought at $6,100 US out of that exchange if they never possessed it? I'm telling you, man, if this doesn't light your ass up to get your shit off of every exchange, no matter how quality of an exchange you think that exchange is, all of them are susceptible to this crap. Get your Bitcoin into your own possession. Keep it in your own possession. I highly recommend never trading, but if you have to trade, then only move the Bitcoin that you're going to move or that you're going to trade with to the exchange, execute all your shit, and then get it all back immediately, all right? Because this is gonna happen more and more and it's gonna get worse and worse. Uh, let's see. What else have we got? Uh, do, do, do. Uh, let's see. Oh, <laughs> yes. This one, U.S. House subpanel to look at crypto as part of examination of how domestic terrorism is funded. Can you spell narrative for me, people? This is out of Coindesk and it's been being written by Sebastian Sinclair sometime yesterday. A subcommittee of the United States House Financial Services Committee is expected to discuss 
how to thwart current and future avenues relating to the financing of domestic terrorism, including cryptocurrency, according to a memo on Monday, the Subcommittee on National Security, International Development of Monetary Policy, uh, International Development and Monetary Policy, will hold its hearing on Thursday, February the 25th. Specifically, it will assess various means of terrorist financing, including crowdfunding, charities, content subscriptions, cryptocurrencies, and other funding mechanisms amid the backdrop of what occurred on January the 6th. I guess they're referring to the insurrection. As it relates to cryptocurrency, the hearing will assess the overall increase in its popularity as banks begin to tighten their measures against terror financing, the committee said. Additionally, United States Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has mentioned cryptocurrency use and terrorism is a key concern at least three times, oh my God, over the past five years. Boy, she's really on top of this shit. A number of high-profile, high-value transfers to known alt-right cryptocurrency wallets have occurred, including a post-death transfer of over $500,000 in Bitcoin from a suicidal French extremist to a number of U.S.-based extremist-owned wallets. The memo reads, extremist-owned wallets. I think I have that as a label on one of my wallets to make sure that everybody knows that my wallet is an extremist-owned wallet. God, this, the amount of bullshit is just amazing. It is unclear whether those individuals were present. Oh, here it is. At the January 6th Capitol Hill insurrection in Washington, D.C. Quote, nonetheless, since it is increasingly common to find cryptocurrency wallet addresses listed on extremist websites, this is a potential and growing source of funds for domestic extremists narrative. The hearing will feature a panel of five witnesses from various organizations, including Aman Barakudam, a senior manager at the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, and Laika Brooks, executive director at the Southern Poverty Law Center. <laughs> Daniel Glasser, former, former assistant secretary for terrorist financing and financial crimes. Daniel Rogers, co-founder and CTO at the Global Disinformation Index. And David Gartinson Ross, CEO at Valens Global, will also be joining Jesus. Holy crap. Uh, <laughs> domestic fi terrorist financing. We are no longer interested in international terrorism, y'all. I haven't heard anything about international terrorism since January the 6th. Isn't that, isn't that convenient? Isn't that convenient? Okay, I'm not going to get into the macro shit on, on all the, the, this stuff that's going on that's basically keeping us locked in our houses and destroying businesses left and right like it was slash in a forest to be burned. But uh, we will go ahead and uh, let's see. Is there anything? Yeah, you know what? We're at an hour we're going to go ahead and, and cut the morning roundup right here. Right, terrible Joke Corner brought to you by Dad Says Jokes. As I was getting in bed, she said, you're drunk. I said, how do you know? She said, you live next door. Man, wouldn't that be a surprise? Okay, so final words. Uh, hashtag DListBSV needs to go beyond viral today. 
it needs to be an almost like if you can figure out a way to slip hashtag DList BSV into every tweet, every social media platform that you can think of all damn day and tomorrow too, do it. Now I'm going to give you, here's the uh, uh, hat or the uh, at symbols of all the people that I think I'm pretty sure are uh, listing uh, BSV at this time. OKX, Huobi Global, Changely Pro, HitBTC, Bydesk.com, XT Exchange, IDCM Official, Digifinex, UpBit Global, BitThumb Official, uh, DCO in Exchange, uh, Buybox365, and CoinBene, CoinBen, Benny, Benny, whatever. Tag them. I go if you if you got to go to my Twitter account to find them. Uh, find all the people that I just mentioned. I guarantee it. I'm gonna be retweeting this shit today. So go to at b e n n d seven seven. That is b e n n d seven seven on Twitter, and you will find where it is that you need or the people that you need to put pressure on through several tweets that I will be making out, you know, throughout the day and retweeting other people's hashtag B list, uh, D list BSV tweets. All right, go get them boys. And I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.